Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redeemer Church. We pray that as you listen to this message, that your heart would be softened, your ears would be open, and your affections for Jesus would be stirred. We pray that through the Holy Spirit, you would look more like Jesus and know Him more as we strive to be a gospel-centered, disciple-making family together in Wichita Falls. focus us on the, uh, the text that we're going to really hone in on today, verse 13 to 15. I'm going to read it again one more time, just so we familiarize ourselves with the text. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you all. Well, for the past couple of weeks, we've been talking through, if you've been with us uh, here at Redeemer, uh, for a while we've been in the book of John. We've been in the book of John for over a year now. And uh, we got to chapter 15, and we've been camping out here and kind of flirting with the text for about three weeks. And uh, the main thing that we've been talking about in John chapter 15 is what it means to grow up into maturity. What does it mean for your character to mature? You see, part of Christianity is Jesus really wants the life that you want for yourself. He wants, he wants you to be a more kind person. And that's what you want for yourself, Right? You want to be more gentle. You want to be more self-controlled. You want to be more loving. You want to be filled with joy. This is the life that you and I always want for ourselves. To be at peace. To have hope. To be good. And to be faithful to your commitments. And this is the life that God wants for us as well. And this is the life that Christ wants for us. And uh, what we've talked about is how do you grow up into maturity? How does your character mature? Right? Don't, don't we all want that? Don't we all want to grow up into maturity? Don't we want our character uh, to continue to grow and to mature? Well, it, this passage says the exact same thing that we've been kind of harping on for the last two weeks, but it says it in a different way. Today, the Lord is phrasing this differently. It's, today, the Lord is saying maturity grows and comes through friendship with God. I'm going to say that again. Maturity, growth in your character comes and grows through friendship with God, friendship with Christ. In verse 14, it says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. You see, Cody, how can this be? How do do we grow in friendship with God? And, And how are you getting this understanding from the text? Well, it's important that at the root of all reality... The number one thing that we need to understand is our understanding of God. What you say about God is the most important thing about you. I didn't make that up. Someone else did. That was really, really faithful. So who is God? Well, according to the Bible, our God is triune in nature. 
Uh, it's really, really important that you understand that the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, this is something that Jesus is saying here in this passage. Is something that he has said um, earlier all throughout the, the Gospel of John. He, uh, and really the reason why they want to crucify Jesus is because his oneness claims with God Almighty. And they keep on claiming that Jesus is blaspheming. And if he wasn't telling the truth, he was blaspheming. But if he was telling the truth, he is teaching to us the doctrine of the Trinity. John 10, 30 says, I and the Father are one. There is, uh, there is unity in a multiplicity of persons according to, according to the Bible. And in verse 9 it says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. In the exact same way, with the exact same type of lo love. Why? Because we are one. So the doctrine of the Trinity is extraordinarily important. So come with me in, your, in, in our collective mind's eye to unpack this really difficult, <laughs> this really difficult doctrine of the Trinity. And uh, the thing that I want to express is this, this understanding of friendship. This doctrine of friendship with the Lord is how we grow in maturity only makes sense, only makes sense if God is triune in nature. You see, before there was anything, before there was light, before there was heaven, before there was earth, God was from everlasting. And he was there before Genesis 1-1 in the God place. I don't know where that was, but it was an uncreated place, but God dwelled there. He dwelled there, and he dwelled there, and he was not bored. He did not make anything because he was bored. He did not create because he was bored. He created out of the overflow of the love that he had with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all of eternity past. And I know this is hard. I know this is difficult. You think about this for four seconds, and your brain feels like it's bleeding. But the reality is, is this is what the Bible is teaching. Every single worldview, listen. Every single worldview has the beginning something. And the Bible's beginning something is God who is triune. God who is triune. No, perfect knowing, perfect loving, perfect delighting in each other forever and ever and ever before he even said in the beginning. This is our God. And you know what this explains? This is important because it explains something about us. It explains something about you and about me. And you want to know what that is? It explains why we get lonely. I don't know of any other time in human history than in 2020 and 2021 that we had an epidemic of loneliness. Epidemic of loneliness, an epidemic of disconnect. And what's interesting about that is our understanding of the Trinity explains to us why we get lonely. Because in the garden, when Adam was in the garden, perfect relationship with God, per perfectly created in, in, in the image of God, has never sinned. Guess what? It said it's not good for the man to dwell alone. It's not good for uh, what's going on with Adam right now is not good. Why? Why? The only explanation 
The only explanation is because Adam was created in the image of God. And it is not good. It is not good to have relationship just all by yourself. It is not good to be alone. And God wanted to communicate that very, very faithfully. And so what God said is, yes, everything is perfect, but this isn't what's best. Why? Why? Because God was trying to communicate to Adam. He was trying to communicate to Adam that whatever is going on in this life, whatever is going on in this world, it is not good to, uh, to not be perfectly like God. It's not good to be perfect, to have anything in your life that is unlike God. Why? Adam had perfect relationship with God in the garden, and he still needed community. God had, God had formed Adam perfect, and he still needed Eve. He still needed community. Why? Because we're created in the image of God. You know what that means? At the foundation of reality itself, before, before there was anything, there was friendship. Before there was anything, there was friendship. Before, uh, before there was light, before there was darkness, before there was anything in the world, God had friendship in mind. And you and I are lonely, not because of our brokenness, but because we're made in the image of God. Now, there can be broken factors in our loneliness, of course. But it is built into our DNA that we are meant to connect with other people and with our God. You see, we need friends. We need Christian friends. You were built for gospel community. You were built for this. And this is something that we have to grasp if we're going to understand our anthropology and we're going to understand what it means to meaningfully connect with God. If you want to meaningfully connect with God, you have to understand two things. You have to understand how, how, how friendship with God functions and also how we should have friendship with one another in gospel community. This is extraordinarily important. Verse 9, again, let me read it. It says, as the Father has loved me from all of eternity past, so now am I loving you. So now have I loved you. And verse 12 says, this is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. And this is tough, right? You hear that command, you're like, oh man, how, how can I live that out? It's tough because you know to a certain degree that you are made for friendship. You and I know that we're made for friendship, Correct. But friendships, notice, can either be one of the most life-giving things in your life, or at the same time, they could be the most devastating things in your life. Broken relationships, broken friendships can be life-destroying or life-giving. And I don't even have to illustrate that. Something immediately popped in everyone's hearts and minds. Yes, Adam was created perfect, but he needed Eve even when he had relationship with God. You and I are the same way. You and I are the same way. But at the same time, Eve was a gift in, because he was made primarily for God. Real friendship is twofold. Human friendship and friendship with the Lord. John 15, 15 says, I've no longer called you servants. Why? But I have called you my friends. Friendship with God is for those who abide in faith. How can you be a friend of God? 
That's our, that's our question today. How can you be a friend to God? And so uh, as we jump in, let's hit some of the marks of friendship in this passage. All right? What are some of the marks of friendship that we see revealed in this passage? First thing we see about friends, both for our human relationships here on earth and also in heaven, is that friends always let you into their heart. Okay? A real friend is someone who lets you into their heart. And number two, friends will never let you down. A true friend won't let you down. A true friend will be there for you. And so, uh, put another way, friends are vulnerable with each other. Friends are vulnerable. You might be saying, Cody, is, uh, was God vulnerable with us? Well, notice this thing that you, probably most of y'all <laughs> are, are holding. Was God vulnerable with you? How many letters have you written to someone in your life? All right? And we look at this text, and what do we see? The vulnerability in the heart of God being spilled out and poured out for his people. It says, know me. This is, this is my cherished word that I gift to you. I preserved it throughout generations, throughout continents. I, I, I've given this to you so that you can know the depths of my heart. Of course, God is vulnerable. Of course, God is vulnerable with us. In John 15, it says, I no longer call to you servants, not just a servant. I'm not just on my throne over here and say, you better do what I say or else. But no, I've, I've let you into everything. For a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends, Jesus says here. I've called you friends. And the second thing is, that, things is this, that a friend never lets you down. He lays it all on the line for someone. She lays it all on the line for another friend. And we see that here in verse 13. Here in verse 13 it says, I lay down my life for my friends. More on that in a little bit. So let's apply this information briefly. Let's apply this um, uh, as Derwin Gray says, Dr. Derwin Gray, who's a pastor in South Carolina, says, the cross, resurrects, uh, the, the cross and the resurrection reconciles us both horizontally with each other and vertically with God. And so let's unpack how uh, these play out in our horizontal relationships with each other and our vertical relationships with God. First, here on earth, friends have to share your heart with one another. If you're a friend in here, you have to share your heart. If you, do, if you are not sharing your heart but you're there for someone all the time, then you might be, uh, you might be someone like a, a social worker, so, uh, someone that is a professional or a counselor who is constantly there for someone, but not necessarily a friend. Now, don't, don't get it twisted. I, obviously, counselors and uh, social workers can be friends, but there is a professionalization of being there for someone, but also not revealing your heart to them. A friend has to reveal your heart. Uh, and so let me apply this specifically to Redeemer. Grow, grow groups here at Redeemer. Uh, forgive me for using some insider language, but grow groups for our guests are kind of our accountability groups that we uh, implement through our gospel communities or our traditional small groups here to where we live out what it means to be a gospel-centered, disciple-making family. In your grow groups, in your grow groups, are you breaking the vulnerability threshold on an ongoing basis. Now, listen, there's a dance to this. There's an art to this. 
There, there's a reality that if you try to break this vulnerability threshold uh, week one, really just jumping in the deep end, you might be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> uh, you're kind of forcing yourself on me right now. You're kind of forcing, let's, let's kind of feel this thing out. Friendships take time. There's a mutual choosing in friendship. There's a mutual choosing in grow groups. Jesus says here that, did I not choose you? Did I not choose you? And so we need to apply this to ourselves. But in grow groups, are you constantly guarded? Because the art of friendship is understanding the complexity and the nuance of not sharing too much too quickly or not withholding for too long. Oftentimes in grow groups, what can happen is someone will, someone that's a, typically a really strong leader, kind of charge up the hill type, will be like, hey, grow groups aren't working. I've been doing it for two weeks. <laughs> I've been doing it for two weeks and it's just, it's just not working. No one's really opening up. No one's really pouring out all their stuff yet. And I was like, man, hang in there. <laughs> uh, give, it a give it a little bit of time. Because part of what grow groups are here at this church is kind of like gospel friendships. Gospel-centered friendships to where we are working in the good news of the gospel to the brokenness that we're experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis. And then we're letting people into our hearts over and over to give them a voice, a trusted voice of gospel preaching into our lives. We need each other in this. But it is, an, it is not a science it's an art. It's gospel friendship. And this is what we need. And this is what we're looking for. Are you an active listener? Are, are you someone that sees preparation, the preparation of your heart before you go to your grow group as something that's really important? Do you, does it get time for you to share and you say, oh, uh, I'm good. I, don't really, I didn't really think of anything. Part of mutual, mutual choosing of someone else, part of gospel friendship, is putting in the time, doing the emotional work, thinking about what's going on and what your heart has experienced, and then being honest in an appropriate way. Break that vulnerability threshold in an appropriate way and communicate, this is how I'm broken and this is how I need Jesus, and then be faithful and gracious to those around you that are moving at different paces. Okay, church? That is really important. We have, to, we have to grasp this because the reality is friends do open up. Friends do open up. If it just stays closed for a really, really, really long time, that will break down the friendship because you're not being honest. And God is extraordinarily honest with us. All right, so how does this apply to God? How, how, how vertically, how does this uh, vertically apply to us? Well, I want to turn your attention to Psalm chapter 25, verse 14. Now, uh, there's multiple different uh, uh, versions of the Bible that I'm going to read here. Typically, I read ESV, uh, but uh, I, I need to make a point. Psalm 25, verse 14, I'll read it first in the ESV. It says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him and who make known to them His covenant. The friendship of the Lord. Now, let me read the NASB. The secret of the Lord. you see the difference there? The secret of the Lord is for those who fear Him. Pretty much the same except secret and friendship. And He will make them known His covenant. Now, let me read the NIV. The Lord confides in those who fear him. 
he makes his covenant known to them. And you say, Cody, what's going on here? Uh, why is our English translations all over the place in this idea of friendship? You want to know why? Because in Hebrew, the word for friendship is the same word for secret. In Hebrew, the word for friendship, God's friendship towards us, is communicating that God confides in those who are his friends. God reveals to those who are his friends the things that are going on in his heart. He tells them secrets. He tells them secrets. You want to know, if you know God, do you understand the secrets of the Lord? Whenever you open up the scriptures, is it mute white noise coming at you? Or are things falling into place and you're understanding, oh God, you're living and active here. You're moving. Uh, the, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. They're cutting through bone and marrow. You're, uh, this, is, this is alive. There's something that, it's like a code that I've unpacked. Have you ever experienced this whenever you're reading the Bible? Whenever you're reading the Bible, is it just white noise? Is it just, I have no idea what this is talking about, nor do I know how to even figure out what it's talking about? Or is it all coming into place? Is it all kind of funneling down? Because what it says here in Psalm 25 is that his secrets, his secrets, his friendship belongs to those who understand his covenant who understands the promises that God has made with his people, who understands the good news of his revealed heart to his people. That's who's a friend of God. You, so kind of first test of, am I a friend of God? Do you understand the secrets of his word? Do you understand, does his word come alive to you? Does it make sense to you? Does it illuminate your heart? Does it make you feel really alive? Have you ever had that experience? Do you, do you have that experience on an ongoing basis? Because whenever I say up here, or you listen to a Christian podcast or something like that that says, hey, we should probably read our Bibles, that's actually a synonym with you should probably be friends with God. You should probably meet with Him. You should probably keep the relationship going. This is, these are synonyms. Uh, and those that want to meet with God, are, it's natural for them to say, oh, he's my friend. Why? What motivates you to the scriptures, church? What motivates you to the scriptures? Can you not wait to hear his voice again? Or do you say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a servant of the Lord. And he told me to do this. I better do it. By the way, that's great motivation. However, that's not what our text is calling you to. Our text is calling you to friendship with God. Friendship with God. You desire intimacy with God. You break the vulnerability threshold with God. Or are you tiptoeing around God? Are you tiptoeing around the church? Are you tiptoeing around your pastor? Are, are, are you nervous? Are you nervous about the things of God? Are you nervous about... Because, listen, do you have problems running up to your good friends? No, no, we're excited. We're excited. We run up to them. We share jokes. We have common language. We create common culture together. And that's what Jesus is saying right here in this text. I, I'm your friend. I, I lay down my life for my friends. 
And this is what's crazy, is friendship empowers obedience here. Friendship with Jesus empowers obedience. Friendship and obedience are so closely related throughout this text. If you, you, will, if you love me, you will obey. If you are my friend, you will obey. All, all other world religions get that completely the other way, the opposite way. All other world religions, all other worldviews say this. If you obey, then maybe you will have right relationship, right? All other world religions say that. All other worldviews do this, this, and this, and you will get this outcome. Christianity turns that completely on its head. Christianity says, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, have laid down my life for my friends, therefore obey. You see the difference? But Christianity is totally different than all other worldviews. The Bible is trying to communicate to you how you can connect with God, your friend in Christ. Your friend in Christ. John 14, 26, that we read a couple of months ago at this point. It says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. Friendship with the Lord means having a connection with the Spirit, Holy Spirit of God, deep in your heart, so that the words of Christ make sense and thrill your heart with joy, give you hope and love, and send you out on the mission of God. The Holy Spirit does this. The Holy Spirit gives you friendship with God and reminds you of the friendship with God that you and I both need. So, Redeemer, here's my question. As we're applying this, are you a friend of Jesus or are you still just his servant? Are you a friend of Jesus? Do you, do you love to run into his presence? Are you excited about the next time you get to hear, hear from him? Uh, whenever your heart resonates in prayer, stays, abides in prayer, stays, abides in the word, is your heart being fueled and thrilled and joyful? Or, or is it disillusioning, distant, makes you upset, makes you angry, makes you anxious? Okay? See, a servant is constantly anxious around his master, but a friend is not. A friend is excited to see what his master is up to. And this is what's so important to understand here. Jesus says, I didn't lay down my life for my servants. Jesus says, I laid down my life for my friends. And so there's an evaluation process that has to happen here, right? There's an evaluation that has to happen for us, church. Are you servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, or are you confidently his friend? Do you run into his presence? Are you excited about his presence? Do you have the security of friendship knowing that his death was for you? His life was for you. His resurrection was for you. His dear, his dear and beloved friend. Do you have friendship with Christ? Do you have friendship with Christ? You see how this transforms how we engage with God? It is so easy to be a servant of God. To be a servant of God and say, you know what? Yeah, Jesus died for everything, for everyone. It was just out there. He did it. And what you need to do, bucko, what you need to do is you need to, you, need, you better obey. 
And if there's one thing I want you to obey, I want you to obey and asking Jesus in your heart. That's the one thing I need you to obey. I don't, I don't care what happens after that. Obey in this because Jesus died for everything. So you better grab, you know, grab that coupon as it comes down. You know, grab it. Grab that present. Um, you better do it. Three, two, one, now go. Or, or if you understand the friendship of Jesus, you see how intimacy with the Lord transforms how you think about him. Intimacy with the Lord transforms how you process relationship with him. Because he didn't, he didn't die just as this idea over here. He was on the cross and he was thinking of you. Does that bring you to tears when you think of it? That Jesus, the, the king of the universe who left heaven, who made everything, said, Cody McMurray, you're mine. And I will do this. I will die the death that you deserve to die. Because I love you. And you're my friend. Greater love has no one than this than he laid down his life for his friends. For his friends, not his servants. You, you understand who Christ died for? He died for you, friends. And it, this should transform everything about us. It should transform everything about us. So the first thing that we have to grasp is how a friend operates in our lives. How a friend operates in our lives and a friend lets you all the way into his heart. And that's what Christ has done. But also, let me conclude with this. A friend never lets you down. A friend never lets you down. We've said it a bunch, but John 15, 13. Um, greater love has no one than this. Someone laid down his life for his friends. In John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants. So let's apply this horizontally and then vertically, and then we will, then we will be done. All right? How does this principle of a friend in our reconciliation between each other, how should this... How should this be applied horizontally? Well, it should be applied horizontally by understanding what has real power to bring lasting change. See, at Redeemer, we try to be a very simple church, and that is not because we don't think that program, programs are helpful. I think, they, I think they probably are extraordinarily helpful with the right leaders and the right, and the right budgets and, and all that stuff. But here's the thing. What we're trying to do here at Redeemer Church is we're trying to formulate an authentic, Jesus-loving community living out the Great Commission together. And we have the conviction that as you are living for this purpose and goal, this aim in life, this common, commonality amongst brothers and sisters in the household of God, it will produce naturally by God's grace and power gospel friends. There's nothing more formative than friendship forged in the harvest. Uh, pursuing Christ together, pursuing his mission together. What happens as a natural byproduct and blessing in that is gospel friendships that are deeper than blood, that are deeper than blood. You want to know why? Because they're purchased by the blood of another. And so what we need to understand is that what we're trying to do here at Redeemer is we're trying to form gospel friendships living out the Great Commission together. 
And um, let me apply this by um, a book that I has been really influential in my life, and I think uh, a couple of us have read it, specifically you, Maddie, um, When Helping Hurts. When Helping Hurts, there's, this is a book about proven strategies on how to help and serve the poor um, in, in a community. And one of the things that this, uh, these two doctors figured out, uh, doctors in different um, sociology and, and, um, and other things, uh, just prolific leaders, what they discovered was is there was a lot of different service projects to serve and alleviate the poor. And what typically happened is those that were bigger, with bigger budgets, and served a wider array of people, what happened was it kept those that were benefiting from those, prod, um, those service projects in poverty for, the long, uh, for a longer amount of time. And what happened, uh, they do... A variety of different studies, and if you're interested in this, or you have the Holy Spirit gift of mercy, I encourage you to read this book because it will actually put a lot of things in, into perspective for you. But what they noticed was those that were smaller, that served the poor in a, in a smaller capacity. One, one church that I'm thinking of in, uh, in the study that they did was a church in downtown uh, Manhattan. And they were serving the, the homeless, about a thousand people. Every single Sunday, this church was serving about a thousand people. Um, and uh, one day, the pastor said, uh, we need to cut this down tremendously be, so that we can have a big impact. And you know what he did? He cut it down to 150 people. And his reason was so that we could befriend them. He said, we could serve the poor. We could give meals, and that was good, and it was beautiful, and it was godly. But he said real life transformation happened whenever we took them from someone that we were serving. Just like Jesus says here, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And they said they brought them in and began to befriend them and share their resources with them and share their very lives with them as well. And so the way that we can transform a community the way that we can transform a community is build systems and structures that get Christians befriending those in need. Because what we need is not necessarily money or resources. I'm not saying any of those things are bad. I'm just saying the penultimate thing that we need is relationship. Because we're made in the, tri in the image of the triune God. And what we need is each other. And my another way to drive this home, I did this just for my mom. I love you, mom. All right, is there's a book called The Same Kind of Different as Me. They also made it into a movie. And uh, there's this woman, Debbie Hall, who was serving at a soup kitchen for a, a very long time. Saw someone that was really, really struggling. Was, uh, his name was Denver, and he, he was the hardest case in the, entire, uh, in the entire soup kitchen. And she said, she felt the Spirit of God say, what I need to do is befriend him. And long story short, it was a bumpy road. But she was committed. She was committed to the Lord. She was committed to Denver. And Denver became a Christian, a published author. Debbie shared her resources and her very own life with Denver, and it transformed them. And it transformed a community. We need friendship. We need gospel friendship at the core to transform and to bring real, lasting change. Well, we also need, we also need to let the Lord in. Look what Jesus says about never letting us down. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, 
I love you. You're my friend. Want to know how? I'll substitute my life for you. I will substitute my life for you. And you say, Cody, that's, that's great. And anytime someone substitutes their life for someone else, it's, it's a really moving story. It's a very gripping story. I, anytime you hear a war story about someone laying down their life for a fellow soldier, it grips my heart. And I appreciate that. And I see how this is, this is uh, thematic in Christianity. But listen to me. Listen to me. I cannot lay down my life for another person. I cannot give up my life for another person. You want to know why? Because the Bible says that death is not just time and space. Death is an execution. The wages of sin is death. So if I died for you, or if you died for me, you gave up a few of your years to give me a couple of more years. Right? Uh, I can't give you life which is truly life by laying down and dying in your place. Because the executioner of death is still coming your way and is still coming my way. We can just substitute, we can trade off years. We're, we're playing with addition here. But what Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you my life. The life, the life that you ultimately need. I'm going to substitute that. You see, Jesus didn't have an executioner come in his way. Jesus lived the perfect life. He lived the, every single thing that the, the Lord said you have to obey perfectly in order to be in right relationship with me. Jesus did. He was born of a virgin, not stained with sin, then lived a perfect life. And so what Jesus did was he voluntarily gave up. He voluntarily gave up his perfect life that, that warranted or was accredited to him as righteousness before God Almighty and said, I will die your death and you will get my righteousness. You will get my perfect relationship with God. See, we are just playing with addition. We're just giving up a couple of years and a couple of years here, and it still grips and moves our heart. But what Christ did, what Christ did is he laid down eternal perfection for you and I so that whenever you and I receive this good news into our heart, what happens in our lives is we get the eternal resurrected life that Jesus earned in our place. This is the life that he has substituted for you, friends, for you. This is the life that you and I want, the character of Jesus transforming us and making us like him. Full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And this is what he says he gives us. He gives us through faith in the finished work of Christ. See, what this does whenever you grasp the friendship of the Lord, your dread, or you, t you tiptoeing around Christianity, always lying about how often you read your Bible, always lying about how much you prayed this week, always lying about how excited you are to go to church, always, always lying about the thing that you have to do on the night of your gospel community. You will stop tiptoeing and you will embrace the friendship of the Lord and you'll say, what do I get to do, Lord? What are we doing today? My friend, my God, my Savior, what do we get to do today? Don't you want that life? Don't you want this life, this life of security, hope, peace, joy? I want it for you. The Lord has called you his friends. Redeemer, don't leave this place 
until you do an evaluation. Am I just a servant of the Lord? Or am I his friend? Let's pray.